I don't know if y'all noticed this. Um, just a few minutes ago, we read uh, hymn 323. I want you to look back at that page. Turn back in the hymnal to 323. I wasn't planning on doing this, but then um, when, when we were singing the song, I noticed this, and I thought it was interesting that this is a song that God put on your heart this week. Um, we don't do this often enough. And I got to be honest with you, I think it's kind of to our chagrin. There are readings that are interspersed in our hymnal along with these songs. So if you look right above 323, there's a reading, 322. And that reading comes from two parts, uh, two different verses. One is from Galatians 614, which we will be in this morning. And the other is from Galatians 220. And I thought it was very interesting that these verses couple well with this song. Listen to what the verses say. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, this is the difference that happens at the cross. At the cross, what used to be your boasting, what used to be your pride and joy, what used to be the things that exalted you and made you feel great are now completely worthless. And you find your boasting in what ought to be an object of derision. It was an object of cruel punishment for crimes committed, except in this case, in the case of Christ, it is his ladder upon the throne of victory and glory and dominion and power. And so at the cross, at the cross, where we first see the light and the burden of our hearts roll away, See, it's there by faith that we receive our sight. Because it's at the cross that we come to realize what really is so important. It's not the accolades, it's not the awards, it's not the things that I do. It's what he has done for me and that becomes the center of Paul's boasting. That becomes the central element of his living. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And so, even if you don't hear anything from the sermon this morning, I want you to hear the difference that the cross of Christ makes. We'll be in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish the book of Galatians this morning, and then we'll start a new series next week. We'll be preaching from the book of Proverbs, uh, which is both an amazing book and a very scatterbrained book. So that sermon series is going to sound a little bit different than what you're used to. I want you to know um, if you, some people think that topical preaching is out. We shouldn't teach topically because, um, you, I mean, you got you to gotta work from the scripture and the scripture needs to be the center of the, of the sermon. And I completely and totally agree, except when you get to the book of Proverbs and every proverb jumps from subject to subject to subject, what do you do? 
So, so it's going to be a little different. This is going to be more of a topical series, but what I'm doing is I'm aggregating all of the Proverbs together to get a sense of what does this book, in light of all of Scripture, teach us? What does it teach us about various different aspects of life? So I hope that that'll be a series you enjoy. We'll start that next week. But this week, we got to finish Galatians. So Galatians chapter 6. And it really is a shame in preaching because preachers often in our day like to pick and choose certain passages and not preach from other passages. And what often gets left out is the very ending of books, especially the ending of the epistles. Sometimes they're just awkward. You're thanking this person or that person. You're sending greetings here or there. There's a final word or two, but it pretty much, you've already kind of summarized it in the whole book. And maybe because it's just kind of hard and it's kind of almost an anti-climax in a, in a preaching sense, preachers don't want to go there. I'm going to defy the odds this morning. I'm going to preach the ending of Galatians because I think it's just so incredible what we often miss. If you're writing a letter in the first century, there's a certain style you follow. The beginning gives you basic information. Who's writing the letter? Who are they writing to? What's the occasion of their writing? Um, all those kinds of different things. Sometimes it might say where you're from or where you're writing from, that kind of stuff. But it would just give all that kind of background information, which is really helpful for us because it helps us to know who are the people that it's written to What's going on in that day and time, in that audience, with that writer, so that when we read this letter, we can understand it in its context better? But it gives that contextual information in the beginning. The main part of the letter, just like the main part of our letters today, it's the business at hand. It's the main reason you're writing. That's why we call it the main part, right? Because it's the main thing. But then the ending. Something interesting would happen in the ending. Paul had a practice, and others had this practice too, of using what was called an amanuensis. An amanuensis is a letter writer. So um, think of it like this. If you're, I don't know, let's just throw out a number. If your five-year-old kid wants to make a Christmas list and you want to be able to read it, you pick up the pen and you write it for them, right? So that you can read it because you have a lot better handwriting than your five-year-old, I hope. I hope. Some, some I've, I've seen some doctors that, that, that don't. I had a professor one time that said he had beautiful handwriting until he started his work in, on, on his PhD. And then at that point, he just went to pot because he had to write too fast. Like, he just couldn't worry about uh, that anymore. But in the ending, what would often happen is the letter writer would give the pen back to the person who's sending the letter. And the author, the one who's dictating the letter, would write the ending himself or herself. That's what happens in the book of Galatians. Stand with me as we read from the heart of the Apostle Paul. After directly confronting the, the false doctrine of the Judaizers, after telling the people what the gospel really is and how we are justified by faith in Christ after showing them how we live in the spirit of God and bear the fruit of that spirit and love one another, the gospel being put into action. Listen to Paul's heart at the end of this epistle. Verse 11, this is God's word and if you let it, it will change your life. 
See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts nor for anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may it be so for us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirits as well. May we find in these last letters, directly from the heart of the Apostle, find within them your heart. May you lead us in your truth to live in your spirit for you. Father, it is in your most holy and precious name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. The question that I have this morning is who are you following and the reason for that is because that's Paul's question. All of us have watched our children, our grandchildren, make bad choices. Amen? Some of us, uh, some of the choices are a lot worse than others. But we see the road they're on. We see um, that, that they're leaning themselves straight to heartache, straight to pain and anguish, possibly even to ruin. And we want them to stop. We try to show them a better way in hopes that they'll listen, in hopes that it'll, they'll come to their senses, that it'll get through their heads, that, that what they're doing is, is the wrong kind of way. All throughout this book, God, Paul has taken this fatherly sort of role with the Galatian churches. He's shown astonishment, love, and confusion over their choices. Do you hear the desperate pleas of Paul throughout this book? You're justified by faith and not works. Hold fast to the gospel. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. You are children of God's promise if you have faith. Christ has set you free. Don't go back into slavery. Live in the Spirit. Bear the fruits of the Spirit. Love one another. Like a father who yearns for his children to do what is right, to make right choices. Paul is anguishing over the Galatians. He's especially personal in these last verses. That's why in verse 11, he refers to the large letters on the page. He's taken the pen for himself. He couldn't have possibly written this whole book. We know from Paul's other writings and from other things that scholars tell us that Paul had a hard time writing so this would have been written by someone else, but at the end he takes the pen because that father's heart just has to put down this one more thing, this one more admonition, this one more charge to show his heart. Now comes the love that Paul, the 
father of the Galatian churches shares with his children. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The issue Paul is pointing to in this whole passage is who are you following? Who are you letting make the choices for you? We all have friends, and sometimes our kids make bad choices in friends. Sometimes we do too, don't we? Sometimes we choose to hang around the wrong people. We choose to confide in the wrong people. Sometimes we choose to allow the wrong people to have prominence and importance in our lives. And when your kids are little, little, it, it's, it's something small. It's a kid who hits a lot or who spits or who eats his shirt. Brantley has started eating his shirt. I'm convinced there is a kid at daycare that eats his shirt and Brantley has started because of him. It's yeah, it's it's little things like that. It might be it might be a dirty word that they say. But as they get older, those things become worse and worse, don't they? You get to the teenage years and you got you have somebody drinking trying to get your kid to drink. You got somebody smoking trying to get your kid to smoke. I don't know why anybody would want to smoke. That stuff is disgusting. But the point is, you run into people that are doing things that are really bad. There's, there's some that I know that got mixed up with some friends and they started robbing like gas stations. That's not good, y'all. That's leading a life that's going to lead to destruction. And we watch our kids make choices and sometimes maybe your kids haven't made those kinds of choices. That's wonderful. But we can all see that we've all made those kinds of choices and we've all watched our kids make those kinds of choices and we've all watched our grandkids, if you're old enough for grandkids, to make those kinds of choices where they're leading themselves down a wrong path and you just want to get in front of them and say, what are you thinking? Stop! Look who you're following! That guy's nothing but trouble. And then, oh man, when they bring home somebody on a date, your daughter brings home a knuckle-headed boy. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I just want you to know that. My daughter is three. I am, I am anticipating. I thought about taking lessons, um, uh, getting, get, get learning, learning how to shoot uh, a few types of weapons, and making sure I can clean them by the time she brings home a date. Baseball bat will work, yeah. I think I need a few more muscles, though, if I'm going to brandish the bat. I need to, I need to look like I'm serious about it. Maybe I should shave all my hair off and just go... Anyway, I've got time to figure all that out. That's true, too. What if that... What if your son... Get some kind of crazy girl that's he's head over heels for, and you know she's trouble. What? We've all, again, no one in particular. 
The Galatians are face to face with the choice of who they're going to follow. Do they continue in the gospel preached by Paul? And those who are, who are with him, those who are associated with him, those who he has taught, he has left behind to lead these churches? Or will they follow the Judaizers who are preaching a false gospel? Who are preaching justification through works of the law? Who are they going to follow? Paul says, look at who you're following. Just look. Just look at the teachers. Forget the doctrine for a second. Forget what they're saying. Just look at their lives. Look back in verse 12. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. The Judaizers wanted to give the facade of piety without the fullness of it. They wanted to keep up appearances. They were really good at that one. So are we. How many of you, to be honest, walked into a church, maybe it was today, maybe it was last week, maybe it was sometime a few weeks back, having to put on a fake smile just so it would look like everything was okay when you knew it really wasn't. We're really good at keeping up appearances. How many of you don't want to drive a hoopty for a car so you buy a new car but you didn't really buy it yet you're still buying it because you're still making payments how many of us want to fix up the outside of our house not because it needs a new coat of paint because it just got one last year but but you don't like the color anymore and you want it to look good again maybe one year is too quick but two years three years five years Oh, it's starting to stain a little bit. It's starting to fade a little bit. We gotta put a new coat on. We we are really bad about keeping up appearances. We gotta make it look good. Doesn't matter that we're rotting on the inside. We gotta whitewash senses. It's like a cup, coffee cup that never gets cleaned out. The outside might look fine, but that inside. Some of you seen the insides of your coffee cups? I have a cup that I use for work. I don't put coffee in it because I'm not a coffee drinker. But um, if I leave, if I leave it a couple days without washing it, I start to see the stains. It's stainless steel on the inside, so it's easy to clean. But if I don't clean it, it doesn't take long the residue of coats or teas or whatever I'm drinking. It really starts to make it look kind of bad. Imagine going a lifetime like that, just making the outside look fine. The inside is rotten. He says, those who want you to be circumcised, who are trying to force you into that, all they want to do is make a good showing. All they want to do is make it look good. Make, make you look holy so that they can look holy. Also, they don't just want it to look good. They want to avoid themselves being harmed. 
they're looking at the possibility of persecution and they're thinking, well, we can't, I can't be persecuted. I can't suffer. So we got to make it look good. Let's make it look good so we don't get persecuted, so we don't get anguished. I don't have to give you examples because there are plenty of news. People who claim to be Christians and yet want to look good to the world too. And they sacrifice the Christian faith. Give a little, give a little, give a little, and eventually they've given away everything. Hear me when I say this. If you are following someone who is trying to look good, who's trying to keep up appearances, who's trying to make it look like they are holy, that they are righteous, that they are pure, you're following the wrong person. There was a professor that talked about, or a, a, a pastor that talked about he saw another pastor who was very, who, who just walked with God. He had a really good walk with God. And he wanted to, he was a young guy. And this was an older pastor that had really lived the right kind of life. And so he went to him and he said, I want to, I want to, I want you to mentor me. I want you to help me walk with God like you do. And he said the guy, first thing he did was he started listing out all of his sins. I really struggle with this. Listed them all out before him. The young guy said he was, he was, he was blown away. He was confused. And then the older man said, after he was done, still want me to mentor you? He took that spot, didn't he? He knew you cannot put your faith in somebody no matter how good you think they look, you cannot put your faith in somebody. It only can belong in Jesus Christ. And the problem with the Galatian churches is that they are starting to follow people who are pretenders instead of the real thing. Oh, they look good. Oh, they seem righteous. They use the right language. They, they, they have the big smile. They look like they're official. They've got the credentials, man. They dress up well and everything looks right with them. But it's all whitewashed. He said, you cannot follow someone who's just looking good. Verse 13, he goes on even further. He says, for even those who were circumcised do not keep the law. The whole reason for them trying to get the Galatians to get circumcised was so that the Galatians would keep the law and they themselves won't keep the law. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. How often do we expect things of others and not do them ourselves? I have to catch myself. Just yesterday, Mitchell was looking at a tablet at the dinner table. We don't do tablets at the dinner table. Those of you 
um, who know anything about electronics know that food and electronics do not go well together. So I got on to him, and I looked down at my phone, and I realized, you hypocrite. So Mitchell, sit up for a second. I'm sorry I got on to you because I was doing the same thing. Even those who are circumcised don't keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Isn't it funny how sometimes people want to boast in what other people do? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one alone. I'll just let your mind wander for a second there. You know what I'm talking about. There's that boss that won't take, that takes credit even though it wasn't his idea and he didn't really do the work, right? I had a guy one time, I went to the store manager asking for a raise. He said, let me look at it and figure that out and come back. One of the other managers, one of the lower managers came back to give me news that they were going to give me a little bit of a raise and he's like, I, I got you this much of a raise. And I'm thinking in myself, no, you didn't. I asked for it. The store manager approved it. You're just delivering the news. You didn't do anything. But he tried to take credit. It's like, I got you this. No, you didn't. You did not get me, get me anything. That's just, that's that kind of person. You, that's not the kind of person you need to follow. The kind of person that's always bragging on what they get other people to do. Yeah, that's, that's not good. You want to find a true leader? True leader. Now, don't misunderstand. Leaders delegate, and that's a good thing. They need to delegate. But a true leader gets their hands dirty. You know that they are willing to clean that toilet even when they ask you to clean it. You know that they're willing to get in and do the grunt work when it needs to be done even if they're delegating that task to you because you know that person is doing the best that he can do himself and not just foisting all the work on others. You want to follow somebody? Don't follow the person who is boasting in what you do unless they're boasting on you. That's what they look like. That's what those Judaizers look like. They're too busy keeping up appearances and trying to take credit for what other people are doing. They're not really leading the Galatians into the truth because they want them to know the truth. They're leading the Galatians into this, this thing that makes them look great. They're boosting their own egos. They're lifting themselves up. They're trying to make themselves look great when all the while Paul is saying, don't you get it? Look at who you're following. They're leading you down the wrong path. Just look at their lives and you'll see it. Remember the works of the flesh are evident? Works of the Spirit are too. You just look long enough and you'll see it. Then, then he reveals a little bit about his own character. Verse 14. But far be it from me boast except in the 
boss. Rather than looking for approval from men, Paul makes the object of his boasting the crucifixion of Christ. If you think about what he said in this letter, it makes sense. We're justified by faith in Christ because of what Jesus has done. That's what makes us right with God. Why wouldn't you boast in that? If this is the way by which you can come to know God personally and intimately, the, the creator of the universe, the one who handcrafted you in your mother's womb, if you can know him like that because of the gospel of Christ, wouldn't you want to stand on the gospel of Christ and say, look how great this is. Look at what it's done for me. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, um, Paul is, is um, he goes to Felix who is the governor in Caesarea. And Felix basically holds Paul for trying to get some money out of, out of the followers. Felix didn't know that the churches were all poor then. <laughs> so he miscalculated a bit. But he held Paul for two years without any sort of trial. Or with, a, with kind of a trial, but not really a trial. He never made a decision. He's holding Paul. This injustice is done to Paul. Well, new governor comes in. Turns out Felix is deposed by Caesar. Because that's what happens when you're a bad governor. You end up getting kicked out. And Festus was the next guy that came in. The new governor, Caesarea. And he sees Paul's case. And he listens to them. And he's not, he doesn't know what to do. Paul's innocent. But he doesn't want to create trouble with the Jews. And so he's, he's like, what do I do? I've got to send him to Caesar. He's requested appeal to Caesar. I've got to send him to Caesar, but what do I tell Caesar? I've got to write something. And so King Agrippa comes. King Agrippa, who is, who is a, a higher official over that area. And Agrippa, Paul gets before Agrippa, and what does Paul do? Paul tells him about Christ. He doesn't go through the scriptures and explain how the Jewish Messiah is Jesus. He doesn't go through all that. Agrippa doesn't care about all that. He's not a Jew. He tells him his own story. He says, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute some, some of these followers of Jesus, and then I met him. And everything changed. You see, when Paul looked at the gospel of Christ, he saw nothing better, nothing better than to share that with him. And so he gets before governors and he gets before kings and he gets before Roman guards. He's chained to Roman guards day and night in prison. You know what he's doing? He's, he's evangelizing all the Roman guards that are chained to him. Think about that. That's a totally different mindset. That's a totally different lifestyle. You see, the Judaizers were over here trying to get you to follow the letters of these laws that they're refusing to follow completely themselves, and yet they're going to boast in what you do. Paul is over here saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's a completely different lifestyle. Instead of focusing on himself and his own aggrandizement and his own lifting up and his own popularity, he is focused on Jesus Christ and he wants everybody that he meets to know who this Christ is that has so dramatically changed everything for him. It's a totally different lifestyle. Christ has made such an impact on Paul, he's willing to eliminate every other thing. Look at the end of this verse. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
totally cut off, no more. Now, he's still in the world. He's still dealing with people of the world. But he's not of the world anymore. So Paul draws the conclusion, verses 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Look, this doesn't matter. What matters? The new creation. The same Paul would tell the Corinthian church, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That was a living reality for Paul. Is it for you? And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. It doesn't matter whether you've had some skin cut off or whether you performed any other religious ritual or even had one done to you. What matters is whether or not you are a new creation. Has the gospel so impacted you that you are totally different? That new creation is not just an expression it's not an allegory. It's not a poetic way of putting it. That was the best way that Paul could figure out to describe a life that's lived in Christ. It's like being a whole new person. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity to be a whole new person. Maybe you've accepted Christ. You're already following him look like it live the kind of life live in the spirit bear the fruit be be the child of God don't submit again to slavery love one another make your life's mission the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ Boast in the cross. If you're a child of God, be a child of God. And grow to be like that. If you're not, I'm going to be right here at the front. And I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help you do that. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And while we sing, God's doing something in your heart, you come. Maybe it's maybe it's to become a new creation. You know that there's never been a time that you've surrendered your heart to Christ. Now is that time. Today is that day. Do that now. You don't even have to wait for me to stop talking. You can come on right now. I'll quit when you get here. And we'll talk together and I'll help you know how to do that. If you are a Christian and you haven't joined this church, why not? If you're from out of town, we'll give you the pass. Okay, you're fine. But the rest of you, if you're here and you haven't joined, come on now. This is, this is a church that is committed to doing what God has called us to do and we would love to have you join us. But if you are a member, you just need some prayer. Just need some help. Just need some encouragement. 
altered obedience, becoming Christ. Whatever God's doing in your heart, you respond in obedience. Always in this song.